All right, take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. And we're going to look at, this morning, repentance, the twin sister of faith. Repentance, the twin sister of faith. And so, I really want to do twofold this morning. I want to preach this and I want to teach this. I think this is something that's vital for the body of Christ because repentance is really at the heart of the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the Amplified it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, after the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter began to preach and said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we welcome you. May we decrease. May you increase. And everyone said amen. Amen. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, I trust that sorrowful penitence or penance does still exist. Though I have not heard much of it lately, people seem to jump into faith very quickly nowadays. I hope my old friend repentance is not dead. I am desperately in love with repentance. It seems to be the twin sister of faith. So I stole my message title from Charles Spurgeon. How many of you know that's a worthy steal? Amen. Listen, the gospel that Jesus preached was, and for us today, is a gospel of repentance. The gospel is good news And the good news is that God loves us, God gave his son for us, and that if we repent, we can now have a right relationship or a good relationship with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The word repentance is a word that's familiar to many Christians, but few actually understand what it means. Today, what is taught in most places is a gospel of easy believism. Today, only part of the gospel is taught. We love to quote the verse that says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But that is not the entire truth. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was put in prison... Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And another place Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
The Amplified says, go and learn what this scripture means. I desire compassion for those in distress and not animal sacrifice. For I did not come to call to repentance the self-proclaimed righteous who see no need to change, but sinners, those who recognize their sin and actively seek forgiveness. John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and the rest of the apostles preached and taught a gospel of repentance. I want you to notice that Jesus preached repent and believe. Repent first and then believe. They went hand in hand. And the message was that outside you appear to be holy, but inside you are unclean and full of sin. So repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Turn from your wicked ways and live your life in a way that is pleasing to God. Jesus, Peter, and the apostles didn't invite people to make a decision for Christ. They didn't ask people to cast a vote for Jesus. That's not what they did. They didn't preach just believe and be saved. They didn't just say, get yourself some fire insurance from the fires of hell. They called people to repent of their sin and to be baptized and to live a life that is obedient to Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. The acceptance of the gospel is not just an intellectual decision. When Paul was preaching in Athens, it was no problem for the intellectual thinking class to believe in Jesus. They already believed in many gods. And to them, each god was just another way, another philosophy, another way of thinking, another point of view, another way of looking at things. And they believed in many things, and they believed in many ways. Doesn't that sound familiar? Unfortunately, that sounds a lot like the American church. Today, the thinkers, the intellectual class of people, the so-called enlightened ones, the educated, the intellectuals still think the same thing. Things haven't changed. Still open-minded to everything. In their opinion, there are many ways to God. The problem with the ones with all the knowledge isn't in the believing, it's in the turning. Paul's message to them is found in Acts 17. It says, so then being God's children, we should not think that the divine nature or deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination or skill of man. Therefore God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. That is, to change their old way of thinking, to regret their past sins, and to seek God's purpose for their lives. I want you to get this. 
Simple belief requires nothing other than what you think about something. Today, people do a lot of thinking. We're an educated country. Even the most uneducated among us are still fairly educated because they have availability to some education. Today, people have designed what they think about God. They have their own beliefs. As a pastor, I've even found in the church people who say, well, I don't believe that, I believe this. But they don't line it up with the word of God. They just have something they believe. Jesus looked at people and he didn't just call them to believe in me. He said to repent. And repentance requires change. A change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of living. As a matter of fact, when you repent of your sins and Christ comes to dwell in your life, there should be a difference, not only in the way that you think, but in the way that we behave and in the way that we reason, in the way that we approach life, in the way that we have conversations, because we have turned from the old way of doing things into the way of doing things God's way. You can't just add Jesus to your list of things that you believe in. You can't live in sin and in the things that dishonor God. You can't live in disobedience to his word and ways and be in right relationship with God. Please understand, Jesus came to save us from our sin and their consequences, not just to call us to believe. If you're taking notes, I really want you to write this one down. Apologizing to God is not the same as repentance. I will say it again. Apologizing to God is not the same as repentance. Now, I'm preaching this message two reasons today in this church. Number one, because there are some who need to hear this here. Secondly, as we share the gospel with people, it must be the whole gospel. There are churches full of people, there are entire churches not living their life in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. As a matter of fact, if you just pay attention to what's going on in the news right now, there are entire churches, larger churches, that are trying to reach the world with the world's ways and not calling them to repentance, not calling them to a change of life, not calling them to a whole different direction. They're actually saying, just add Jesus to what you're doing. Repentance to God is not merely saying that we're sorry for our sin and asking for forgiveness and then continuing living in our life in the way that needed forgiveness and repentance in the first place. Many people find themselves falling into that cycle over and over again. My wife used to teach our children in our home that saying you're sorry means that you will stop what you are doing because you understand it's wrong, hurtful, and sinful, and you do not want to do it again. It's not just saying sorry and then moving on. I love that my wife wouldn't permit that in the house because it's easy for kids to go, sorry, and then go back to doing it. How many of you know you should call them on that? Parents do that today. I don't understand parents like that. I really don't. 
Can I just tell you, if your kid's doing something they shouldn't be doing, and they just look at you and go, sorry, they're not sorry. There's a way you say sorry and mean it. And everyone who understands that say a good amen. amen. Sorry must involve repentance. See, listen, repentance doesn't lead to sorrow. True sorrow over sin leads us to true repentance. The problem is that as preachers, and many of us are at fault, we haven't preached the gospel in a way that people actually are sorry for what they've done to God. They, don't, they are not grieving over the sin that they have in their life. They just want to be right with God. They just want to be able to say sorry, but there be no change. There's no awareness that what they did was wrong and sinful and is harmful and destructive. They just want to be right with God without having to change their life. You see, there are two types of sorrow. There's worldly sorrow and there's godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow, watch this, produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Worldly sorrow only produces regret, shame, embarrassment, condemnation, and self-loathing. You ever met someone, they're sorry for their life, they don't like their life, they're sorry about it, but they don't change? If there is no change with sorrow, it just becomes pathetic. You're just repeating the same thing living over and over again so people will feel sorry for you. You've gotten used to that. There are a lot of people who have gotten so into the drama of being sorry for what they've done that they keep doing the same thing that is sinful and destructive because it scratches an itch. But godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. And salvation is freedom. And it's deliverance from sin. It's deliverance from death and all the regret and shame that sin brings. Godly sorrow produces a repentance that includes a hatred for sin. You see, repentance includes a righteous fear of God and a desire to right all the wrongs. Can I ask you this morning, do you hate sin? Or do you still find yourself attracted to the things of the world? Do you recognize the wickedness and the sinfulness when it is presented in your own life and when you encounter it in your life, whether it's entertainment, whether it's something that you see in yourself that you're attracted to, or do you kind of excuse it and it doesn't really mean much? You see, today many people are like a child who's sorry that they got caught doing something wrong, but they look for a new way not to be found out. They're sorry that God sees, but they're still in love with their sin. Listen, genuine conviction of our sin involves a sorrow for what we have done, not just a head knowledge that's wrong. I have a question. Where are the tears over our sin? Where's the understanding 
of what our sin is and what it has done to God and to ourselves and others. I remember on Sunday nights, and we don't have Sunday nights here now because we have a Spanish church that meets, and that's worthy, that's wonderful. I remember Sunday nights growing up around the altar of the church at the end of a service, and there would be tears over sin. And it would range from just the husband that was a jerk to his wife that week or mean to his children or the wife that had just been a little edgy to the criminal or the drug user or the alcoholic who would come to the altar. And the presence of God was so strong, there was sorrow over the sin And no one had to tell them, you need to be sorry. There was a true turning in their heart of repentance away from sin. As I've prayed over the last few years, God, where have the tears gone? The response has been the church itself has become so familiar with sin we have become so comfortable with our own sin that we have no sorrow that brings no conviction to those who see the difference in our own life. Repentance involves an understanding of the exceeding sinfulness and wickedness of our sin. How many and how often have we offered salvation to those who have not truly grieved over their sin? How many times have we said, just repeat this prayer, but we've known the one who was praying the prayer really had no awareness and no sorrow over what they've done and no real desire to change. They just wanted to say a prayer and know that they were right with God, but they weren't. This is why we often find the Apostle Paul preaching repentance to believers. There are so many so-called believers who do not live by faith. James 2.18 in the Amplified says, but someone may say, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Paul says, show me your alleged faith without the works if you can. And I will show you my faith by my works, that is, by what I do. If he were to say it today, I think he might say this, put up or shut up. You see, true repentance looks like a changed life. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people, would you say that with me? My people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Listen, 
Church, can I just tell you, if you want to see Jupiter saved, we need to repent of our sin. If we want to see Palm Beach County saved, we need to repent and turn from our sin. If we want to see the United States of America healed, then the Church of America, the people who call themselves Christians or by the name of Jesus Christ who have taken his name, then we ourselves must come out of the sinfulness with which we've lived and live a life that is holy. That's all right. You can give the Lord a hand or you can just sit there and say, oh me, that's all right. Listen, repentance produces change, not just sorrow, not just remorse, and not just guilt. There is true turning or a true turnaround. Charles Finney said, many suppose that remorse or a sense of guilt is repentance. Then hell is full of repentance because it is full of unalterable or unutterable and eternal remorse. Others feel regret when they have sinned and they call it repenting. But they only regret their sin because of the consequences, not because they abhor sin. This is not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind toward God and sin. It is not only a change of views, but a change of the ultimate preference or choice of the soul and our actions. True repentance is turning away from our sin and toward God. In Luke 3, 8, it says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. The Amplified says, Therefore produce fruit that is worthy of and consistent with your repentance. That is lives, that is live changed lives, turn from sin and seek God in his righteousness. I want you to hear me. Fruit is the evidence of change in our lives. There is evidence that you have given your life to Jesus, that there is a difference. Listen, sorrow isn't proof, and neither is remorse or regret. Many people have regrets, but never change. They don't change their heart, and they haven't changed their life. But for those who have repented, Temptation may still come, but there is a desire to not give in to the temptation and to please God. Listen, for someone who has passed from death to life, zeal for the things of God is not a luxury, but a necessity and a way of life. I want to remind you, true repentance isn't tepid. It's not lukewarm. It is energetic and it is decisive. It says this, I'm sorry, I believe in you, I repent of my sin, and I've changed. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and I am no longer the same. And the old life that I lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in Jesus Christ, who died for me and gave his life for me. He gave his life for us. It's important that we understand the difference between regret Remorse and repentance. The Greek word for remorse carries the idea of sorrow, mourning, and grief. But it seldom refers to someone moved to change. It paints the picture of a person who lives consumed with remorse, guilt, and regret. The Bible gives us a prime example 
and Judas Iscariot. After he betrayed Jesus, he had an emotional response to his guilt. He was distressed. He was depressed. He was regretful. He was even angry with himself. He even made an effort to give the money back. He was overcome with emotion, but he was not overcome with change. He was so overcome that he committed suicide. He took his own life by hanging himself. And he hung there long enough and no one took him down that when his body finally decomposed enough, he fell into the ground in the valley. And the Bible says his entrails went all over the ground. For him, there was no true repentance. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear me. There's been a heretical teaching that's been going on lately that Judas was saved. He never repented. There was just another selfish act that ended his pain temporarily. And if he actually had a true understanding of eternity only momentarily. But I want you to hear me. True repentance does involve emotion. It does involve tears, and it does involve feeling. And that's what we were talking about earlier, a godly sorrow that leads to life. You see, it's important to understand there can be no true repentance without true emotion. That's true. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 says this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord, You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walked in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in an emotional world, but a very unfeeling world. There are people who have become apathetic, they've become calloused and unfeeling. They aren't interested in repentance because they have no conviction, no sensitivity to the Spirit of God. There's not even an awareness that change is needed. As a matter of fact, What you sense in this room this morning, the weightiness of the presence of God, the intensity of the Lord dealing with our hearts, we become familiar with that as children of God, but to many Christians today, this is an unacceptable thing because they're uncomfortable with dealing and looking at their own life and knowing that God says, repent of your sin. We have a people today that have become so selfish and focused on self that we are past feeling and what that feeling does to other people and even does to the heart of God. But can I tell you, when the Spirit of God moves in a place as uncomfortable as you get, when the Spirit of God deals with your life, it begins to well something up in some of you that moves you out of your sin and a desire for the purity of God. May that return to America again. May that return to the churches of America again. 
Listen, the Greek word for repent means a complete turnaround in the way one thinks, the way one lives, and the way one acts. This means that when we come to Jesus and accept his free gift of salvation, that we purpose in our heart to change the way we have lived in the past and live for him. It is a change of course and a change of direction, a completely new way of looking at life and a change in our behavior. Listen, real repentance is a mental choice, not an emotional choice to leave a life of sin, of flesh and selfishness and to turn to God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It starts with an emotional understanding. I need to repent. I'm sorry for my sin. And then that emotion turns into an understanding that allows us to make a quality decision to leave a life of sin and to live a life of righteousness in Christ. Anyone who tells you that I just responded emotionally to God but never moved past into understanding has not been taught the gospel. And we must teach that. You see, the key word in repentance is change. Guilt is a prison that will keep you perpetually bound but unchanged. Remorse keeps you in a sorrow that surrounds you emotionally like a dark cloud and leaves you feeling sad, depressed, and hopeless but unchanged. Regret keeps you in self-pity that is focused on your own personal loss and pain than on the pain, hurt, and loss that you caused others or God, and that leaves you unchanged. But repentance is a quality decision to change. Repentance is not the acceptance of a new philosophy or idea. It is a conversion to truth so deep that it results in a total life change. At the heart of the idea of what it means to repent is a complete across-the-board transformation, a change of behavior, and a change of desire. Listen, if you do not see this in your own life or in someone else who says that they have given their life to Jesus, it is doubtful that there was any true repentance. Today, we've just gone, it's okay. You do you. No, no. Mm -mm. The reason why America has changed so fast, listen to me, the reason our nation has moved into sinful areas that we have never thought would be possible. The reason we are seeing Sodom and Gomorrah, and listen, they were just a town. They were just a couple of small little cities. We've got entire nations now that have turned their philosophy and their idea to that type of wickedness. But there is a remnant in the body of Christ today. The problem is that when we introduce people to Jesus or we bring them to our churches, they don't hear about change and that you need to repent and become like the Lord and your life will reflect a life that is growing and moving more to be like Jesus. We just say, believe on the Lord. And they go, well, I can believe that. I'm down with that. That's all I need to do. But there is no change. That's right. 
You see, authentic repentance understands the magnitude of their sin. And they offer no excuses. In Psalms 51, 1 through 4, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David didn't try to confess as little as possible. He never tried to water down what he had done. Repentance looks at the incredible depth of the sin and all its causes and effects. It refuses to hide in denial and faces all the ugliness it has done and caused. One person calls it the length, width, and depth of sin and all of its effects. Nowhere does David make an excuse for his sin. Nowhere. True repentance isn't about assigning blame to anyone or any underlying circumstance except me. It doesn't try to rationalize, minimize, or divert responsibility. Repentance says, I get it. I understand. I am painfully aware of what I have done and caused, and I am truly sorry. I repent, and I am willing to change. It doesn't say if you just understood my background, if you understood what happened to me in my childhood, if you know what this person did to me or what that person did to me. It recognizes the sin. It doesn't say, God, first you've got to heal me of all the hurt and then I'll turn to you. It says, God, I recognize that you're able to heal me, but I see my sin. I'm making no excuses for my behavior. There are reasons for what I have done. There are whys for why I have become like I am, but I am not making one excuse for anything that I am and all that I've done. I repent of that now. I want to be washed by your blood, changed by your grace, receive your mercy and forgiveness. And today, from here on, I will live for you. Someone said authentic repentance does not master the language of victimhood or rationalization. It owns it and it takes responsibility. And true repentance recognizes the source of sin. Turn to someone and say, he's going to step on some toes for a minute. Well, I thought he was already doing that. (laughs) David cried out, against you and you alone have I sinned. David didn't blame the devil, although that's where temptation comes from. David realized that he was the source of his sin. James 1, 14 and 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Every one of us has desires. Every one of us has sins that attract us. You ever struggled with sin? Oh, 
own desires. Desires, desire. Maybe different for different people. Never once in my life have I ever looked at another man and went, ooh, I like that dude. Never once. Some people have that. But I have been on the beach and watched women walk by and I've had to turn my head. Every one of us has desire. Some are greedy for money, power. The Bible says that we're drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Authentic repentance is humbling because it exposes us to how truly wicked our own desires can be. And it surprises people what they are actually tempted by. You ever been surprised what you're tempted by? All of a sudden you found yourself tempted by something and then you realized you were tempted, but you didn't realize you were being tempted until you were tempted and then you went, <clears throat> You see, true authentic repentance embraces the reality of consequences. Psalms 51, 6 through 8 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. See, David understood that God's grace, forgiveness, and cleansing would still come with consequences that the bones you have broken may rejoice. You see, grace and forgiveness does not make us immune from accountability or from truth or for consequences. Sometimes the grace of God includes consequences so that we learn the value of the word no. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, watch this, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I want to close with this thought. True repentance sees sin as an opportunity for growth and a renewed passion for what's important. Sin exposes the areas of our life that God desires to heal. The exposure of our sin is an opportunity for God to transform our heart. David went on to say in Psalms 51, 10 through 12, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. You see, David was someone who served God. 
I want to remind you that repentance is not a one-time event that we do at the time of salvation or when we're caught in a crisis of sin. Repentance is something that we do every time we recognize the joy of our salvation lessening. You ever had the joy of your salvation lessen? There are things now that we know to be sin that we were not aware of when we first were saved. Repentance is something that we do every time that we are aware that we've fallen short of God's plan for our life. You've heard me confess, I have to repent almost every time I drive around Jupiter. (laughs) In one day, I watched five people make turns that absolutely blew my mind. They stopped in the middle of Indian Town Road so they could get to the turning lane over here. They stopped here to get over there. That's not legal! I've watched them do turnarounds at a light. If you're in the left lane and you need to turn and go back, that's fine. But when this person over here is going this way and you're in the right turning lane, you are not supposed to do this. It's dangerous. I had to repent because I thought things that were sinful. Thoughts that went through my mind. And Jesus went, that's not me. And I said, I know. But can't you strike them with lightning? And he said, that's not me either. He said, you're wrong. They were wrong, but you're wrong. And I repented of my sin until someone decided to do the same thing again and I had to keep repenting. The truth is we've all been there. We realize that the most precious thing we have in the presence of God is our lives and we want nothing in our lives that would separate us from Him. Listen, I want you to get this. There's something about repentance that allows us the moral standing to share the gospel with others. Psalms 51.13 says, Then, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Then, I, will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. You see, it's only when we've repented that we have the moral high ground to rightfully share the good news of Jesus. Remember, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Here's what Jesus did be. That's right. That's right. 
I wonder if the reason we're not seeing salvations in America is because the local churches have no moral high ground to stand on. We've been living in sin. And people know the difference. They don't just see hypocrisy. There's little response because there's no anointing. Because it must be pure. I have such a sense of what God wants to do in our nation and what he wants to do in our community. How many of you believe that that God is just ready to bring a harvest? But God said this, if my people, my people. The truth is that these things have to start in the house of God. Across this room, I'd like you to stand with me this morning. Some in this room, you're saying, well, okay, God's spoken to my heart. There are areas of my life I need to repent. And some, some of you are like, I'm living righteous, and I know I've repented. That's marvelous. Some of you have been in a place of such sin. There's compromise in your life. There is no fruit. You know that you've been living, and God's calling you to change today. I want to ask you, have you given your whole heart and soul Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now in this room, I thank you that you are the light of the world. And I invite you right now as the pastor of this church, but you are the head of this church, I ask you to shine your light into every corner of our lives. Jesus, today, I pray that you would begin to reveal to us every area of sin. For some, Lord, in this room, there is a knowledge already of the sin that is in their life. It's very clear. They know what they've done. They know what they're living. Alcohol, pornography, anger, unforgiveness, which is murder. For some, it's become a bad attitude. For some, they've begun to allow the compromise of sin into their life through their entertainment. For some, they've begun to find themselves again attracted to the ways of the world. They find it appealing. And their heart has grown calloused so that they don't even feel anything anymore over their sin. They just do it. There's not even conviction. There used to be. There used to be a tug on their spirit, but now they can engage in those things without there even being a pull. They're moving in that place past feeling. I pray that you'd reveal that to us this morning.
the Lord just told me that there's someone that's watching this at home. You are just about ready to turn this off, but the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. And you aren't watching it during church right now. You're watching it another time. And he's dealing with your heart. Let him deal with it. Sir, don't you dare walk away from what Holy Spirit is doing you right now in your home. This is a life-changing moment for you. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to produce in us a true sorrow over sin. My sin. I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this place you would begin to create a desire for more of you. a willingness to walk away from everything that is not pleasing. Oh God, there are going to be some conversations between husbands and wives today about things that they've begun to allow, the compromises that they've begun to bring into their homes. I thank you today they'll have those conversations. Even if they're uncomfortable, may they challenge one another, but may it be so directed by the Holy Spirit that they willingly walk in the other direction towards you. If God's dealing with you with that area of sin, and you need to repent without a piano being played, without anything else being done, if God is dealing with your heart today, I'd like to invite you to come to this altar. You may say, well, everybody in the church is going to look at me. Nope, God's dealing with them. But this altar is open. I'd like you to take that bold step right now. Come on, listen if God's been dealing with your heart. Mm. That's okay, if he's doing, just move. How many of you know the family of God's a good place to be? That's okay. If the Lord is dealing, I want you to move this way. Come this way. Come this way. Oh, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. (laughs) There are some of you, your feet are so glued, the Holy Spirit's telling you to move, but you ain't moving. (laughs) Thank you for moving in this place.
Across this room, I want you to begin right now, just between you and God, whether it's quietly or whether it's loudly, however you choose to begin to confess those areas to Jesus right now. He will forgive you. You repent. Lord, I repent. I commit to turn. Those areas of my life that you're speaking to me now, I, I give them to you, Lord Jesus. I repent of every sin, and I receive your forgiveness now in Jesus' name. Thank you for strength. Father, I pray in this place that you would begin to restore the joy of salvation in the name of Jesus. For those where the compromise has come in, or the anger has come in, or the fear has come in, or the ways of the world have so crept in that they've lost the joy of serving you, I thank you, Lord, you are restoring that now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for not only producing a sorrow that leads to repentance, but with that, a joy unspeakable and full of glory, knowing that they are right with God, knowing that the change has taken place. Father, we repent as a church where there has been apathy, where there has been, has been a permissiveness in our lives or in our own way of, of, of fellowshipping together. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of every area of sin where we have allowed the enemy to come in. I pray that you would give us a greater hunger for holiness, a greater hunger for the things of God. But, Lord, we would long for purity. I pray, God, that we would hate the things that you hate and love the things that you love, that God would, be, would change the attraction of our heart and of our eyes, the attraction of our ears and the way that we receive. I pray that, God, you would give us a hunger for you. Lord, we repent as a church. We stand in the gap for our city, a city that carries the name of idols. a city that carries the name of Baal because Jupiter's another name for Baal, for Zeus. Lord, we repent of allowing other gods, the God of prosperity, the God of sexual things, the God of fertility, that God that causes us to look at the things of the world as the answer to our life. We repent of that in the name of Jesus. We pray that, Lord, there would be a move of the Holy Spirit that turns us from the things of the world to the things of God. That you would tear down the altars in this town that called itself Baal and Azareth, Jupiter and Juno. We pray that, Father God, you would find us putting you on the throne of our heart. May God, Jehovah, be exalted in this city. May he be lifted up for the world to see. Lord, we pray that the revival that would take place in this city and our area would even cause people wanting to change the name of the town. Not out of religious religiosity, but out of a true heart for Jesus. Thank you that this beautiful place is yours. Lord, we receive your forgiveness today. I thank you for moving in our hearts, for giving us a change of heart and mind that will cause us to live in a way that will bring you glory because the world will clearly see. And I pray that God out of that we would see salvations across this town. Begin this week, Lord. As we stand on the moral high ground of righteousness, 
not our own righteousness, not, not self-righteousness, but the righteousness of God. May we be able to speak into the lives of others and see them come to Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Listen, may the Lord bless you. Listen, I thank you for putting up with a uh, pretty intense message this morning. May the Lord bless you. May you have a marvelous afternoon, and we'll see you Wednesday at 7 o'clock. God bless you.